extra day for him. It kind of gets him to um, before the end of the season. And, you know, he's obviously a huge part of our staff, huge part of our team. So trying to do what's best for him at this point and what's best for us and knowing that we have other, you know, really good starting options as well um, and a very capable bullpen to pick up innings if needed. That's John Schneider. Blue Jays manager talking about why they're pushing back Alec Manoa. The big man isn't going. They're going to Mitch White. So, yeah, yesterday the Blue Jays get whacked. Rios gets tattooed. He can't make it through two innings or he gets through two innings. 43 pitches in the second one. Tough. Gives up the seven runs. I don't really want to hammer Barrios because to me, it's pretty clear. He's a guy who can get the job done, who is a solid number three starter, three B starter, but he's prone to meltdowns. Sometimes he can't locate the fastball the same way that he used to be able to, and it gets touched up. And when he gets into trouble, and I've been on the record with Barrios for the entire year, ever since he got here. First impressions going back to last season when he was pitching up against Shohei Otani. To me, there are times where when he starts to struggle, he, he can really lose a ball game. It, he doesn't have the same demeanor as the Alec Manoa of the world who can run into trouble and then get themselves out of it very easily and seem to settle into a ball game all the same. Just my belief on Barrios. I dare you to challenge me on this, nerds. Go ahead. So Manoa's getting a start skipped, which on paper is not that big of a deal. He's at his highest innings that he's ever been at. He's one of the most important players on the Blue Jays. I don't know where you put him, but it's hard to put him lower than three. Just about 184 innings this season. That's not what I take issue with today. What I take issue with with the Manoa conversation is, should you pitch him in the final game of the season if a win means you get home field advantage? Because that scenario was presented to John Schneider yesterday. And his thought is, yeah, you should. That the Blue Jays fans deserve home field advantage and that they really want it. I I just don't see it that way. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, just because you pitch Manoa doesn't mean you're going to win. You lose that ball game... And now you have no Manoa for the playoffs. You, sure, there's technically a reality that you could go to the third game and maybe he's pitching on short rest, but who the hell wants that? And what you just saw yesterday, and like these are why these things tie in together, is that I don't think that you should be trusting Barrios the way that I think that these guys think that they should be. When he's talking about having three starters... Uh, I think you got one other playoff starter right now and then two guys that are .75 in Stripling, .68 in Burrios. Those numbers, they're just the numbers I feel. I, I, I think that playoffs, playoffs are playoffs. Get in. I'd love for them to be home, okay? If you have a genuine stake like me of actually going to some of these playoff games, then you should really care about this. But the Jays have been great on the road. And I think that they're the better team 
It, they're the best team in the wild card. There's no more border thing, right? That, used, that presented a huge, huge, huge advantage. But we're talking about potentially facing a raised team without McClanahan. We're talking about facing, a, I think, a really solid Mariners team that Toronto should be better than. But to me, if you line up in a postseason series, Manoa 1 and Gossman 2, you're favored. You're favored against any of these teams. So I'm making sure that happens more than I'm making sure that I'm at home. I asked Ennis to come up with the biggest reason for optimism about home field advantage, and what was it? It was umpiring. That's it. I don't care about home field advantage as much as I care about arrested Alec Manoa. That's it. Period. Rested Alec Manoa. Rested Kevin Gossman. One and two. Have those two guys go, and you should be fine. And that's not... I don't think that that should be that controversial. You lose that baseball game with Manoa, and you move into that next one with, without him. I, I don't know how Schneider would recover from something like that. Like, that would be such an embarrassing moment for this franchise. I really want home field advantage. Don't get me wrong. I think it's an advantage. I just don't think it's as great as you throw Manoa and you line him up to be there on the last start. Also, I think it's kind of self It's a little bit contradictory when you're saying, well, we want to value his rest and we want to make sure that he's good to go for that game, but also that we're lining him up to make sure that we get home field advantage. It's like, wait, so wins aren't as important, but they're going to be more important then when you have a little bit more certainty. Nah, it doesn't really make that much sense to me. Anyway, the biggest part of this is that I don't feel like the wild card has that much juice. I, honestly, Blue Jays fans, baseball fans, whatever, even if you're not a Blue Jays fan of this, do you really feel like there's this big swing and advantage depending on who you play in the wild card or that home field feels like that big of a prize for this? I, I wonder if Major League Baseball is going to end up reevaluating this and say, we're actually going to have to give the number one wild card team more. We're actually going to have to do something extra because eh, three games at home might not cut it when all these teams are in a pretty similar boat. Uh, John Jaskremski, host of New York, New York on the Ringer Podcast Network, um, a man who is very invested in the Aaron Judge home run chase. Uh, he joins me now. What's up, Johnny? How we doing? Hey, bud. What's happening? Uh, we're getting ready for the postseason. Beautiful yeah. feeling. Yeah, Knowing it is. There's going to be a lot of postseason baseball going on. Yeah, it's the, the weather is now crispy here in the morning where it's cold, and that feels like baseball time to me. Like, I literally came into work and went, oh, it's, this is baseball time. But I will, I'll start with this. Do you, and you're in a different zone right now in terms of caring about the Yankees and the chase, and your position now feels a little bit more solid. It would take a pretty epic collapse to fall behind the Blue Jays. But do you think that the wild card race has any juice? Like, do you care even who you end up facing as a Yankees fan? Because to me, it feels like Houston is at the top of the pile and then everybody else is just kind of like debatable in terms of where they stack up. Yeah, not really, to be honest with you. And there are pluses and minuses for each of the teams. Like, if it's Toronto, it's the lineup that scares the bejesus is out of you. If it's Seattle, it's the idea of facing Castillo maybe twice in a five-game series. Mm -hmm. But it, there's just too much uncertainty to know, are you going to be using all those guys? How are you going to play in the first-round series? To me, at this point, your priority is get the division, win the division, and let the chips fall as they may. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way it goes at this point. Um, I think it's interesting from a Bouge standpoint, do you go very, very hard to get that four seed to make sure you're at home? 
Or do you not care and say, look, it's more important that our team is right, our pitching is right, and we're in the playoffs? That's a challenge for you guys over the next couple of weeks. I don't know how they're going to handle it. That It seems like they're going to handle it where they really push for home field. And, and I, this is where I sit. I'm more the latter, where you are. If it comes down to those last couple of days, I want to make sure that you're lined up for the postseason because my argument is just simple. is One, you can end up losing those games with your good pitchers anyways and then being up on the road without your best starting pitchers in the playoffs. I just think that's that scenario looming is way it's it's way too unenticing. I'm 1000 percent making sure that the guys are lined up and saying, hey, we'd love to have our fans be there. We'd love to get the better of the umpiring, which there's a lot of data to suggest that it actually does matter being at home for this Blue Jays team in that regard. But they've been good on the road all year. Make sure that you've got that one two punch of Gossman Manoa ready to go in a postseason. And if you can't beat the Rays at the Trop because of that or you can't beat the Mariners, then you weren't winning a World Series anyways. So where do the Jays rank for you when it comes to just teams that you wouldn't want to face as a Yankees fan? Because, yeah, like I said, Houston's a completely different animal. You made the uh, a pretty strong case for the Mariners if it's, you know, Castillo. But when you look at teams that actually give you a little bit of consternation as a Yankees fan, where do the Jays fit into that? Well, they're towards the top of the list. Um, the lineup scares me. Mm-hmm. It's not even as much Manoa and Gassman. It's the lineup and knowing how Guerrero and Springer and now recently Bichette, yeah. those guys can go and take over a postseason series. That's my fear in the Yankees taking on the Blue Jays. Um, the Yankees, aside from that awful four-game series at Yankee Stadium this year, have played Toronto pretty well. Mm-hmm. I know Aaron Judge has had a monster year against the Blue Jays. He's had a monster year against everybody for that matter. Um, I would be cautiously optimistic with the Yankees going in the first round. But that's kind of my feeling with the Yankees going against any of these teams yeah. in the first round. Yeah. Um, they got to get a couple of guys back, though. I'm glad Severino's back in the rotation. They desperately need him. They got to figure out what they're doing in the ninth inning because Coy Holmes has been shaky. Zach Britton has just come back. I don't know, and it's two weeks to go before the playoffs start. I don't know who the Yankee closer is right now. Mm. That's that's problematic going into the final couple of weeks of the year. So there are some very important questions between Carpenter and his health, Benintendi and his health. Uh, what's going to be the deal with Severino over the next couple of stars and who's closing games? Yeah. yeah. He's got some things to figure out here. Dude. It's so funny hearing you talk about this though, because for forever Jays fans have been hand wringing about the bullpen. This is not a even one season thing. This has now been two full seasons of fans being pissed off about the state of the bullpen. And just about every single Blue Jays fan, when they discuss this, goes, how are you supposed to take care of a team like the Yankees who has this loaded bullpen where they've got multiple closers and now you guys don't have any? And the Jays clearly have their guy. He's blown his last two saves, but either way, it's like the one thing that um, people feel confident about is the ninth inning and now even more a bit of the, the bullpen depth. So, yeah, I, I don't think that there's wild card juice right now. I think that for Jays fans, it was interesting when Baltimore was kind of lurking around and maybe you could fall out of it and there were real stakes. Now it just kind of feels like I said, if you're going to the home games, awesome. Then you should really care about this because you want to be able to go down to the ballpark. But if you're not, then I think that, again, you're, you're hoping for your 1A and uh, 1B pitchers. When we're talking about stories in New York right now, um, the judge watch thing is big among Yankees fans, but I I was kind of making the argument that everything in baseball now is market driven, right? That even something historical like this, um, it, it gets outside of just the realm of New York. It is here. People understand it, especially with judges, free agency and 
um, a historical franchise like the Yankees. This, this matters a little bit more, but it is more of a Yankee story than, to me, a, a national story. It's not one that gets up to Canada too much. It'll be bigger when, you know, these two teams play each other if it's still looming. But where is this in terms of um, the New York power rankings? Because the Giants are 2-0, and and Dable Nation is just, you know, Dable sweeping the state. The Jets just had one of their most exciting wins that I, that I can remember in a very, very long time. My old college roommate was a Jets fan. It's not been great for him. Um is Judge bigger than those two football teams right now? I would say yes. Okay. I, I would. Now, you also have the Mets who are trying to hold off the Braves in the National League East. You don't sure. want to forget about them, too. Um, but, yeah, I think Judge here locally, it, it, there's a lot of buzz. There, there's a lot of intensity. Now, Giants play Monday night. Jets play Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's plenty of anticipation for both of those games coming up. Yeah. But, the idea is somebody trying to break Roger Maris's record. And I get it. Barry Bonds, say what you want about the steroids. Barry Bonds, the home run king. Barry Bonds has that record. But you're talking about rarefied air mm-hmm. from a Yankee perspective. A guy hitting over 61 home runs. The fact that you haven't seen anybody since Roger Maris go over 60 in the Yankee uniform, mm-hmm. it's cool. And then you throw in, and I was thinking about this because I was at the game last night. I'm watching Aaron Judge throw somebody out in the ninth inning or the tenth inning. I forget what it was. I think it was Fam in the ninth inning. Nailed him. Hit a ball off the wall. Beautiful throw. Nailed him at second base. Perfect, perfect stuff. And I'm like, how are the Yankees not going to resign this guy? Like, there's, there's no conceivable way to me that the Yankees would be dumb enough. I don't care how bad the contract looks at the end of it. There's certain guys you can't let go. No. You're the Yankees. You have to resign Aaron Judge. No other way around it. Whatever it takes, you have to do it. One billion percent. My thing, if I'm the Yankees, is so you you got to offer a ton of money. You got to just up the offer from before. He proved it. He bet on himself, is what we all like to say now. He ends up getting it done. And he won and he won big. Yeah. yeah. He so, won and he won big. Yeah, he won and he won big. So great. Good for him. The only thing is, if I'm the Yankees, it does become a tipping point where I go, listen, are you really going to leave the Yankees? Like, now you have a status. Like, you have the ability to go down as one of the game's most famous and renowned players ever. Like, yeah, you're going to always hold this record. But do you really want to be the guy that left after this? Because that will become such a part of your story. And... I don't know. It feels like New York is the type of market where it, it feels hard to me. Like people are going to go, oh, judge, you know, they didn't pay him. They didn't offer the money that they're going to turn on him. And that all of a sudden you having this record, if you're Aaron Judge, turns into something that's like he had the record dot, dot, dot. But then he left. And that to me, if I'm him, I, I can't have that from a career legacy standpoint. So there's got to be a little bit of give and take here, too, where the, the pinstripes do matter. And I hate saying that as a, a Blue Jays fan. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I don't know how much of a discount he's going to give the Yankees. No, should he be honest with no. the year he's had, but I think he'd prefer to stay. Like, I, I think if you put him under a lie detector test right now and said, Aaron, push comes to shove. Do you want to be with the Yankees next year? Yeah. I think he's going to say, yes, yeah, yes, I do. I want to be a Yankee for my career. I want to be out in Monument Park. I want to win a World Series. That's something he hasn't done yet. Um, yeah, I think it's more, look, he means a lot to the Yankees mm-hmm. for the T-shirts he sells, the judges' chambers out in the outfield. Like, when they market the team, Aaron Judge is by far away their most marketable player. Mm-hmm. So they, they, there's a lot of value for both. And, look, they offered him a contract that I thought was fair at the time. It wasn't, clearly, because of what he's doing right now. 
He's probably going to get $400 million this offseason. Get it done. Take care of it, and away you go. Well, I, I think that here's uh, a thing I really, really strongly believe. Aaron Judge is one of the only players in baseball where we're having this conversation right now. Mike Trout could do this, and we would go, okay, we got to appreciate Mike Trout hitting, you know, 61. Um, Shohei Otani would do this, and we would go, oh, my God, Shohei, blah, 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 and it's Aaron Judge. I think everybody outside of those three guys and the rest of the baseball world is not as focused on 61. It has to be a Yankee, and it has to be Aaron Judge. He's one of the only baseball players. You know, your, your guy Bill Simmons used to bring this up always on uh, old columns about how most baseball players could walk into a room and no one would know who they are because it was like they always wear a disguise, right? Sunglasses and a hat. And I always loved that point. Aaron Judge is one of the only baseball players where he walks in around anywhere and people go, oh, right, that's Aaron Judge. Like, how, who can you say that for in baseball other than him? It's tough to make that argument. No um, yeah, it's, 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 him. it's Aaron Judge, maybe yeah. Shohei Otani. Yeah. But he is one of those dudes that's easy to, easily remarkable. You know, he's very easy to market. Mm-hmm. He's got this marginalized persona. Yep. It works. That's why, like, there's certain relationships. Both sides need each other. Exactly. The Yankees need Judge. Judge, in some ways, they yeah, need the Yankees. Okay, so last thing. I got to talk to you about Apple TV. <laughs> now people are feeling about oh, this. What a oh, because what a I know. Okay. This is so funny because I, if you're Apple TV, you should tell everybody to screw. You paid big money. This is exactly what you want it for so that people funnel to your games and they watch on Apple TV. And if I'm a Yankees fan, I'm losing my mind because uh, I, listen, I watch Apple TV games and in fear of, you know, losing a landing spot at some point in my career, they're terrible. Like, they're so bad. We had a Blue Jays game against the, the Orioles last week. They didn't tell you who was doing the game, like, the entire time. You have no idea who's actually calling this thing or whether they're even there or they're in a studio somewhere. Um, they barely talked about the Blue Jays. They did, like, 45 minutes with the, the rookie, Gunnar Henderson. The calls were – it was just – it was a disaster of a game. Like, quite horrible. And if I'm a Yankees fan and I want to watch this thing on television, um, yeah, I can't be too stoked about it, Michael K or not. What's, what's your feeling about the Apple TV thing? Is Michael K a fair compromise? What would you do if, if you were Apple – uh, just give me all your Apple TV thoughts. Well, look, they should make the game accessible for everybody on the S network, even if it's the Apple TV broadcast and they have the rights to the Apple TV broadcast. Look, here's the, here's the biggest problem to me. If you're under the age of 40, you know how to access it. You're going to get the game for free. Yeah. I think they've been giving everybody the Apple TV game. They do. Anyway, but think about this for a minute. It's a Friday night in New York City. You're out at happy hour. You're out at a bar. You're hanging out. The idea that you can't walk into a bar and know for certain that you're going to see the Aaron Judge at bats is a disgrace. Yeah. That's the problem. You know what I mean? That's, that's the biggest issue with the streaming stuff and where we're going moving forward. A lot of the old school mentality of, hey, let's flip it on. It's on yes. Boom. We'll flip it on. It's on Fox. Boom. We know where to find the game. That's a problem for the sport. It's a big moment. It's clearly a big moment in New York. And listen, uh, you're not wrong about the Apple TV broadcast. They have not exactly been, uh, you know, it's not exactly Al Michaels and Kirk Herb. <laughs> Can you just try? Uh, Can they just try it like well, a little well, bit? They're just, it's well, so clear that they're know, like, we want they, streaming, but we won't care. Well, here's the biggest problem. They yeah. put together a broadcast booth, yeah. basically just trying to mishmash it, thinking exactly. that, hey, this works. No, yeah. you, you, you have to get people that have been there that have done that that are established, that's yeah. how you're going to have a good broadcast booth. But I know. Um, it, it, to be honest, it's a bummer. It's on Apple TV. 
Uh, I wish I was going tonight so I didn't have to deal with the broadcast, but I have a wedding tomorrow. That's a story for a different day. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's hope, let's hope Aaron Judge does end it tonight and he hits it tomorrow. You, you, know? Know, you know what, though? I love that point because I, I do think that element of it is a little overlooked because so many of us in this business, we're terminally online, right? We know every little beat of a story because every single day we're waking up, we're trying to make sure that we've got all the boxes checked. You know, we're scrolling on Twitter. If you're, like you said, below the age of 40, then you're like on social media a lot. The Aaron Judge thing would have permeated into your existence somehow. This is not the case for, I'm thinking about my mom right now. If she was a Blue Jays fan and the text message I'd be getting uh, around the time of the game, where's the Blue Jays game? What channel is the Blue Jays game on? And then me having to walk her through that, the amount of people in New York who are going to have to walk their parents and grandparents through something to get them on the Apple TV broadcast that night. Like, I- I'm worried that it's going to jam up the system, <laughs> like that people are not going to be able to get, even get their calls through because everyone's trying at the same time. That's a tough one. That's a really, really tough look for, I think, Apple TV, for Major League Baseball, for everybody, if this ends up happening and a big secondary story off of it is people in New York who have been diehards with this team their entire lives saying that they missed it because they didn't know where to watch it. Not a good look. There's, there's not a whole lot of winning here with this Apple TV broadcast tonight. But, hey, it's what it is. Yeah. Uh, John Jastrzemski, host of New York, New York, on the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, great work, as always. Thanks for coming on today, John. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Hopefully we're previewing a Yanks uh, Blue Jays ALCS in a couple weeks. I That'd hope be nice. so too. That would be very, That'd very be nice. nice. That would be very, very nice. I'd enjoy that. I'd come up to Toronto for that one, too. Yeah. I'd yeah. be up there. Come up to Toronto. Come hang out in studio. We'll break down the series together 100%. I like the sound of that. We'll Absolutely. make it happen. All, All right, right John. Boy. Take Th- care. Thanks, buddy. Uh, John Jastrzemski. Uh, and now it's time for action brought to you by DraftKings, unofficial sports betting partner of the NFL. What's better than an official sports betting partner of the NFL? Um, yesterday, the boys, the lads, three and oh, thanks to Pete Walker. <laughs> so Pete isn't here today. First week on the job, already gone. I know. There's a, there's a big void to my left. I feel really alone. I know. Here. He's a little guy, but he's got a big presence. Big presence. Big especially presence. on the mic. Especially on the mic. Big Bet Pete <laughs> is now the new, the daily nickname. Because the kid hit. The kid hit. What was it? Plus 850? It was plus 650 for no, Browns more, defense no? special teams. I didn't bet it. I'm sorry, Pete. I didn't believe in you. I don't think anybody did. No. I think it was only Pete. Yeah, only Pete. Bet Browns anytime touchdown defense. Denzel Ward at the death. At the buzzer. Zero's on the clock. That's not bad either. So. It, it was a lot of money in his pocket. And this, by the way, the text thread last night, Joe Bosch hits him with Pete's the only loser tonight. Bunk and I go to two and I moved to two and zero on my best bets. Joe, you're one and one. One and one. You got it. You hit last night. I hit Deontay. Yep. I, I hit Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Apparently, then, some people were telling me about Kareem Hunt odds closing. I mean, you want to change the Kareem Hunt odds a little bit. A lot of people were going for Kareem Hunt after that. Um, Damn. And he had this big bet. Yeah. This monster bet. Yeah. And last play. And I'll can I? I'll admit this to you. I turned the game off. I'm not a psycho. I wasn't watching the last play of the game in a two-score game. Steelers, for those of you that don't know, on the very last play of the game, try to throw it downfield and then do the lateral thing and ends up bobbling, going into the end zone, and boom, the, the Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward pounces on the football, breaks every single Steelers tease, breaks every single under. Disgusting. But sweet Pete ends up getting the big win. So, yeah, big bet pit, uh, big 
Fat Pete, Sweet Pete, however you want to <laughs> say it. Um, the kid's hot right now. The kid's up. I might be 2-0, and oh, but that's a way better one and one than anything that I've got going on right now. So anyways, let's get into our, uh, our picks today. Uh, again, using uh, DraftKings. So, Josiah Bosch, let's start with you. What, what do you like this weekend? What's your favorite bet of the weekend? So, I can't believe that I'm saying this. I never, mm-hmm. I, think, I thought it was going to be a while before I'd ever get to this point, but I was looking at the odds. Yeah. Detroit Lions plus six. It looks way too enticing. They're playing the Minnesota Vikings. They have 71 points scored over the mm-hmm. first two weeks. Um, DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown combining for an average of 250 yards mm-hmm. and two touchdowns a week. The Jared Goff connection's been unreal. They nearly completed that comeback win against Philadelphia, and then the Eagles trounced the Vikings. Yep. Um, so the Lions plus six, it looks too good to be true. I don't know if they win, uh, but plus six at minus 115 odds. I mean, it, it's enticing, definitely. I, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't understand the line. I think that two things can be true. The Vikings are better than they were last year without Zimmer. That they're a similar football team, though, and they've still got Kirk Cousins. And I think that we got a little too excited after week one. And this always happens with the Vikings. We can get too excited about them. I like the way that the Lions offense has looked. I like picturing Swift carving up that defense. He's a dog. To, to me, the Vikings defense, that was the biggest story of that game. It wasn't even primetime Kirk. Kirk wasn't great. He was his usual self. But there's a big touchdown drop that I think it was Irv Smith. And if he catches it, it's it's a totally different ball game. Their defense really couldn't get stops until Philly decided to take uh, every, like they decided to dial back. They pumped the brakes. And they looked all right against Aaron Rodgers too. They pumped the brakes. Exactly. So I I just, I think that Detroit, yeah, but now I looked at that as Aaron Rodgers had no receivers and he was missing his starting left tackle. It just, it was not a good recipe for the Packers and we bought too much into a, a good Vikings performance against them. By the way, it's something to note. If you're looking at that, it's it's weird with this Buccaneers game this weekend, Bucks Packers. It's one of the premier games of the weekend. All the Bucks receivers are beat up. They're going with Prashad Perriman, and Tom Brady's thumb is beat up. But all the Packers have, like, you look at their injury report right now with their wide receiver core. Watkins has a hamstring thing. The rookie is hurt. They've got another thing Alan Lazard is dealing with. I don't know who's catching the rock here for either side. So that's a stay away from me. My my best bet, and it's something that I'm going to talk about with Doug D- in, a, in a second here. Um, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. I think the Buffalo Bills are a monster. I, I don't know when we're supposed to start using DVOA. Maybe I'll ask Doug. But this is the number one offense versus what they're saying is, or sorry, the number one defense in the Bills against the number two offense in the Miami Dolphins. I don't I don't trust the Dolphins. I don't believe in the Dolphins. I think that they're a good story. I think that they're going to be a competent football team. But the idea that they should be within a touchdown of a Buffalo team that looks like they want to set the world on fire, that's a bridge too far for me. I think the Bills blow them out. I don't think that Tua is going to be able to hang. This reeks maybe of a backdoor heartbreak for me, but... I like the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to be throwing them into money line parlays. I'm going to be using them on the spread at minus five and a half. I'm all over the Buffalo Bills this weekend. Let's go Buffalo. Um, that was time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. I also like the Chiefs minus five and a half, by the way. Um, I, I, do, I do want to point out, I have the Bills for a completely different reason. Mm-hmm. The Dolphins played 20 games since last year. They've won 11, lost nine, and they've only beaten teams with quarterbacks with an O in their name. Allen does not have an O in his name. This is a good stat. 
Lamar Jackson. They almost broke yeah. the they almost broke the streak last it's week. Just, it's twenty four points in the fourth quarter. I'm not overreacting to that. Yeah. Um, Doug Kide, Pro Football Focus. The Steelers say they're not making a switch. What are they saying behind the scenes? That's next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So the Steelers are saying they're not thinking about a quarterback switch. Maybe they should. Maybe they should just at least think about it, ponder it. Doug Kide, Pro Football Focus reporter. Um, he joins us now. What's up, Doug? How are we doing? Doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I wouldn't feel as good if I was a Steelers fan because this is, <laughs> like, I would have thought after last year's Ben Roethlisberger experience, uh, the same way a lot of them are thinking, which is, hey, anything is going to be better than that version of Ben, and the team is good, and blah, 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 blah. And, boy, it just, it feels like that division is not crazy out of reach. Kenny Pickett actually showed something in the preseason they didn't pay Mitch Trubisky so much money that you're beholden to it. And yeah, he had some moments last night, but I think that tells you about how low the bar is when a quarterback has a couple of drives that are solid and you go, maybe it's, oh, wait, then you have to recalibrate. Do you think that they're being earnest in their discussion that he's not in jeopardy of losing his job right now? Because they've got the Jets in an extended week and this sure feels like the right time to pull the trigger. Yeah, I agree that this feels like a good time to do it with the long week. It's basically like a, a second buy for the Steelers heading into this week against the Jets. It is still early, though. So I I believe, Tomlin, that it's probably not going to happen this week. I mean, he said definitively no. Um, I certainly think that they should be looking to make a change just because you do have to see what you have in Kenny Pickett at some point. I will say that just simply looking at our numbers from last night, I'm not sure if Trubisky was, was the biggest issue in that game for the Steelers. Uh, he, he, we didn't mark him down with any turnover where he plays. Had three big-time throws. His receivers dropped four passes, which certainly adds up when you're only throwing the ball 36 times. I mean, I don't think he's good enough to continue to put out there if you truly believe that your rookie quarterback is ready. So basically just from talking to people around the NFL, the, the theory is that they just don't think to pick it is quite ready at this point. Yeah, I, I think that that was actually part of the nightmare if I am a Steelers fan, is that Trubisky played just well enough and you lost where he gets to keep the job. And yeah, all right, if Pickett isn't ready and they know that, then fine. I just, I would be going, well, I want to ease him in in a game where he's playing a softer opponent like the New York Jets, where you're at home, where you have a long week of practice. And yeah, let's be honest, this maybe these guys need a shot in the arm. Some of those drops were bad. Deontay Johnson, it continues to be an issue for him. But I also wonder with some of these drops, like, okay, well, how much of that is canceled out by the, the catch that we made Pickens or that we saw Pickens make? There's some where the ball looks a little underthrown that it's not on the money. How do we caliber or how do we calibrate exactly what is a drop on a, a bad throw with a guy like Trubisky? I don't know. It just, it was just enough. It was just enough to keep him with the job. And I hate that if I'm a Steelers fan. Um, okay. So I would also say, just sorry to cut you yeah, off. Yeah. I mean, like, you're, you're, your, your idea about this being the right time with them facing the New York Jets is 100% accurate because after this game, they play the Bills, mm-hmm. the Buccaneers, Can't do the them. Dolphins, and the Eagles. Then they've got a bye week. Then they've got the Saints, who might be a little bit easier, but that defense is built up. But you can't throw Pickett out there against the Bills, Bucks, 
Dolphins or Eagles, that would be that would be a nightmare for them. No, uh, they should roll the Malik Willis tape from the Bills game. <laughs> that was a nightmare. <laughs> they should have left Daniel in. Yeah. I can't believe they did that to the kid. Oh, don't you want him to feel yeah. somewhat good? You put him in there against a hungry Bills team that has zero let off the gas in their heads right now. Oh, let's let's move to the Bills. Actually, let's let's go to them first because I was going to do zero and two teams and you know Raiders Bengals. We'll get there. Um, it feels like there's this expectation now that the bank or is that the Dolphins can steal this game. Are we overreacting to, I think it was, what, it was 24, 28 point fourth quarter from Tua? Or, or do you think that this team is actually primed to hang with the Buffalo Bills? Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think they can. The one thing is that the Bills have a lot of injuries right now in their secondary. So, you know, if you're probably expecting both starting cornerbacks to be out, maybe a safety's out. In that situation, I do think that Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill obviously could go off very similarly to how they did um, against the Baltimore Ravens. But otherwise, I do think the Bills' defense is pretty solid. Um, and the Bills' offense is just such a wagon right now. They're going to get Gabe Davis likely back in this game. So that just adds another offensive playmaker to what they even had uh, this week. So I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that the Dolphins can hang with them just because I also watched the Dolphins' week one game against the Patriots, mm-hmm. and they did not look like the same team that they did in week two against the Ravens. I mean, I know the, the Patriots defense is pretty solid, but it's not like Tua Tungvaluwa was throwing 400 yards and six touchdowns in that game. Tua actually struggled uh, pretty heavily in that game. So I'd like to see Tua do this two weeks in a row before we say that they could hang with the Bills. So I'm still on the Bills side here, but like I said, those injuries in the secondary do scare me a little bit for Buffalo. Well, and I think that was the forgotten thing or the under-discussed thing about last week's win against the Ravens is that Baltimore was in a similar situation with their secondary, right? They, they ended up getting mm-hmm. two guys that ended up playing the game, but they obviously weren't healthy. It was Marlon Humphreys, and I, I can't remember who else was dinged up and who ended up actually playing. Was it Marcus Peters that actually got into the ball game? But having yeah, to yeah. hang, if you're not at 100% with your secondary guys... I'm not playing them against Tua and Jalen Waddle. I just I can't have you try to track them for the entirety of a football game and have what happened, which is they gassed out to me. Like they look like they just could not hang with those guys anymore. They were done. They had lost their legs. I, I would honestly, as crazy as it sounds, say, yeah, I don't want you playing at 65, 70%. Get healthy, get right. We think that we can still win this game in a shootout with our offense. But if you're Buffalo... Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't want to play a bunch of guys that are, you know, questionable. I'll, I'm putting the guys that are probable maybe in, the guys that are closer to 100%, but I'm, I'm going to be cautious against, that, uh, the, against those weapons. Yeah, I, I agree. And, I mean, it's, I think that there's ways to work around it as well, even with, you know, injured players in your secondary. The issue is that they're probably going to have two rookie cornerbacks. So mm. you have to trust those guys to, you know, do what they're told, do what they're supposed to do, because the easy fix on this is just to play a bunch of cover two, have two safeties over the top, project against big plays against Dylan Waddle um, and Tyreek Hill. But in that scenario, you still need to be able to trust those rookie cornerbacks on the outside. So I don't know. I, I think it could be a high-scoring game, but I mean, based on what we saw this week from the Bills on Monday, it just feels like no one could hang with them offensively. They're barely punting out there at all right now. No. Um, and part of this, too, is they, they really have been watching what the Patriots did in the division for so long because there is this lack of let-up with Buffalo. And I want to ask you about this, just kind of what, what is coming out of Buffalo right now in terms of the way that they're treating this regular season 
and they're just seemingly there's seemingly massive desire to just not just beat teams but to obliterate them. Yeah, I think that there is kind of a I don't know if it's an us against the world or whatever it is mentality there, but it, they just have they've got the right guys on that team right now, and they've got you know Josh Allen is the perfect quarterback to be leading them, but even like I mentioned Gabe Davis earlier, he just is. Like these guys on this team are just such hard workers that everyone follows everyone's lead. There's no let off, like you said, uh, in that game against the Titans. I don't think there's going to be any let off this season. Last year just ended on such a disappointing note uh, for them that it does feel like they're they're entering the season on this kind of like revenge tour, and they're all putting every single ounce of possible effort uh, that they can. So no, I think they've got the the right mindset for this. And the the interesting thing, too, is, I mean, we were talking about the secondary. At some point, Tredavious White is going to be back in this defense coming off that, that injury from last season. Yep. And that's just going to make this team even more formidable than they already are. Which 0-2 team do you have more faith in rounding back into being a contender, the Bengals or the Raiders? Probably the Bengals. Um, the Raiders are tough because Josh McDaniels' offense is it's very complex. I'm not surprised that there's been some growing pains there. And I'm sure that he's simplified things from the time that he was with the Patriots, but it, it is, it is historically a difficult offense to learn. So they might turn things around at mid season, but they also lack depth really across their whole roster. You look at it pretty much everywhere. I mean, the offensive lines and mess, even our starters are, but you know, at other positions, they've got really good players. They've got really good wide receivers. They've got Darren Wallace. They've got Nate Hobbs in the secondary. But beyond those players, they really lack depth in important positions. So, you know, one or two injuries for the Raiders could decimate them. With the Bengals, I think they've got a ton of talent. They, they actually upgraded over the offseason after making the Super Bowl last year. I think everyone expected some sort of regression, some sort of Super Bowl hangover. I certainly didn't expect them to start 0-2. But that seems fixable. It seems like they can rebound, still make the playoffs. But they have to figure things out in the passing game because right now teams are not allowing Joe Burrow to throw deep. That is the biggest strength of their offense, of his game, because they're throwing a bunch of cover two out there. They're putting two high safeties out there. So they have to figure out how they can still win in the middle of the field, in the short portion of the field. Um, and I believe in Joe Burrow. I believe in the wide receivers. I believe in the offensive linemen they put in there. So I still think that they can they can salvage this year. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still a Bengals believer as well. There's the only thing that scared me is when and they played Micah Parsons, who was just playing so incredible in that football game that it, it's it's actually kind of hard to get a read. Like everyone's freaking out about the offensive line because they've got like 33 pressures and they've taken 13 sacks on Burrow. And I went, yeah, but how many times do you have to face Micah Parsons? That might end up being a stat just across all of Cowboys games this year. Um, the only thing I would say is there were moments in that football game where Burrow looked like he was really speeding up his clock and missing some throws because he was getting rid of the football too early. And, and I wonder what the cumulative effect of that is going to be if the offensive line doesn't work out. With the Raiders, I just don't believe in Derek Carr. I'm sorry. I, I know he can be competent, but to me, it just it's like it's the Kirk Cousins of the AFC thing where you're going, yes, you can show me some of the, the advanced metrics on completions or you can show me that this guy can have moments or have games so that he's competent, that he's not a complete disaster. But they needed to put that ball game away and Carr couldn't take care of it. And this just kind of seems to be the overlook. He's like, he's bringing this buddy Devontae Adams in. And this sort of feels like, hey, if this continues to snowball with the Raiders, what, what is the Derek Carr conversation going to become if he continues to play this way for another couple of weeks? Yeah, and I think 
like the contract that they gave him is kind of uh, it shows that they might feel the same way about Derek Carr that you do, that he is kind of the, the Kirk Cousins of the AFC, even though Kirk Cousins actually winds up getting guaranteed deals. But yeah. I mean, the Raiders could move on from Derek Carr pretty easily after this season. They would only take on things like $5.6 million in dead, in dead money. Like They could very easily move on if he's not the right quarterback for Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and everyone there. So, I mean, I, I think that he wants to stay a Raider. That's obviously a big reason why they were able to get Devontae Adams is that they mm-hmm. got Derek Carr at quarterback. But things have to turn around quickly because right now Derek Carr is one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks um, on, on PFF right now. He has got off to a, a pretty dreadful start to the season. You know, turnovers, he hasn't been accurate, only 47.8 grade so far this year. So, yeah, things have started. I look for them. And then just uh, one more point on the Bengals. They also started the season against T.J. Watt. So mm-hmm. going up against T.J. Watt and Micah Parsons in consecutive weeks is a pretty much impossible way to start the year for a new offensive line. That's a, that's a really fair point. And it also reminds me of a question I did want to ask you as a guy who does work for Pro Football Focus. When do you start to actually care about DVOA numbers and, and real, like what is the sample? Cause in baseball, we've started to get it down, right. In terms of how many plate appearances, how many innings basketball. I think it's pretty clear that you want to wait at least a quarter into the season before you start using some of those numbers. Same similar with hockey with the 82 game schedule. It's, it's always been harder for me to really, cause DVOA especially was always supposed to be, you know, situational. And so you were thinking and it's sport like football where you were always going to get less of a sample. When do you start to care about those numbers? That's a good question. I mean, I, I use them already just because Yeah. A guy. Uh, I, I mostly use EPA per play. It's just it's a guide. It's a good way to see how everyone kind of compares against each other. But I don't know, like maybe a third of the way in the season, about halfway in the season, those things start to, to matter a little bit more. Mm. I don't really have a definitive answer on that, but you would like because I mean, the other thing too is that so much of what happens early in the season is just kind of noise. You know, mm. like I asked someone about the cold start to the season this week, and they were like, I mean, yeah, they looked bad, but they also looked bad in, like, 2017 and 2001. Like, how much of this is actually real, and how much of this is just, you know, a continuation of of the preseason? How much of this is just, you know, injuries? Because right now, most teams aren't facing injuries. Teams only went through training camp in preseason. The injuries really start to pile up more around midway through the season. So any major injury is going to significantly impact a team. So for, like, the Colts, and having Michael Pittman out of their offense, having Shaq Leonard out of their defense is massive for them when most other teams are healthy. And I could say the same thing about the Chargers not having Keenan Allen or the Buccaneers not having all their wide receivers. So, yeah, I mean, I think you definitely need a larger sample size. But, you know, the interesting thing about football, too, is almost everything is a small sample size. Exactly. They're only playing 17 games anyway. Yeah, that's that's why I have trouble with it. All I know is that when my... Uh, one buddy who's a Dolphins fan texted me, we're the number two offense in DVOA. I went, all right, <laughs> like this is, this is <laughs> wait, okay, on, yeah. like uh, I don't need this text today, okay? Beat the Bills and then we'll talk or show something similar to what you did last week and then we'll talk. Okay, you know what a sample size I do care about though with two games? It's the number one in terms of we should care about where they rank in DVOA, we should care about the eye test, all of it is Denver. What's the buzz out of there uh, after two weeks of Wilson, um, Hackett, and now the potential problem, which is facing a really, really good defense with the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I mean, I think that everyone seems to kind of think that Nathaniel Hackett is in over his head. Looks that uh, way. As the head coach there. And, I mean, if you're, if you're the new ownership group in Denver, too, I mean, you didn't hire this guy. 
I, I'm certainly not saying he's going to get fired a quarter of the way into the season or anything like that, but like how many mistakes have to mount up before you at least like, you know, start to wonder or start making some, some coaching changes, either, you know, play calling or decision-making, whatever it is, just feels like he doesn't have that guy who's helping him out, you know, on, on timeouts, on clock management, on challenges, on, you know, all this decision-making stuff. So I, I still think Russell Wilson will have his moments this year. I think he's still a good quarterback, but, uh, you know, it's, it's tough because he does, he didn't always look fully like himself over the last couple of years with the Seattle Seahawks. Broncos gave him this massive contract, hoping that, you know, things would turn around here with him in Denver, with Nathaniel Hackett, with everything going on. I don't know. It's we, everyone expected that AFC West to be so good this season. And really only the chiefs are living up to that mantle right now because the chargers have got some issues on offense. Uh, we've talked about the Raiders, the Broncos, the Broncos look like uh, a mess with Nathaniel Hackett there. So I don't know. I mean, it is only a two game sample, but you just, you'd really like to see things clear up for Nathaniel Hackett here against 49ers moving forward before you really start to believe in him at all. Because I mean, some of those decisions over the first two weeks of the season, he's lucky to be one and one. See uh, the, the, the ugly truth for Seahawks fans. And I know this because I'm one of them is people, <laughs> people knew that there were real red flags with Russell Wilson. The, Big anger, I think, from most fans came from the idea that they were sticking with Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson, not that it was even Russell Wilson leaving at that time. And a lot of Seahawks fans are looking at what he's doing in Denver right now and saying, and I can tell you again in the text messages, I'm going back and forth with Seahawks buds. It's that sure looks like old Russ. That sure looks like the guy who's holding on to the ball too long, who can still make a play, but isn't the same athletically and is the tier below the... Like the guy that everybody kind of sometimes thinks that he still is. Um, do you have any uh, clarity or any idea of what is going to happen with Justin Herbert and that rib? Because, yeah, you mentioned him in those issues, and that's chief among them is what's going on with the, the tears in his body. I think that it's a situation where, I mean, it seems like he's probably going to try to play through it um, after the game. Brand Staley famously said that, you know, he's okay. I think they're lucky that there's a pretty long break between week two and week three here. Uh, he's been out there on the practice field. You know, it, it seems like it's probably just going to be like a, a turtle shot and throw him out there because I don't know how much more you can really damage it. I think it's a pain management thing. So at this point, I probably expect him to be out there, but it's, it, I think that they're keeping all that information close to the vest right now because they certainly don't want to put it out there if Chase Daniel or Easton Thicke or whoever has to start uh, in this game. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, it seems like everyone's kind of expecting Herbert to be out there, but it's a pretty massive page, pain management thing uh, to have fractures in that rib cartilage because based on what everyone said, you know, rib cartilage injuries actually hurt more than broken ribs. Yeah, and... Uh... It's the Taylor doctor, right? It's just, it's, I, like, I, I can't believe that's the case. When I found that out, that it's still the Tyrod doctor, I went, so you're telling a Chargers fan, all 12 of them, that that's who's <laughs> handling the Herbert injury? I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. Uh, Doug Kine, excellent work as always at uh, Pro Football Focus. We appreciate you making time today, man. Enjoy the weekend. Absolutely, you too. Cheers, man. Um, that's unbelievable. That's actually the stat that can't be topped. You know, Joe Bosch can bring up 
how the Dolphins don't lose to teams with, or don't beat teams with quarterbacks that don't have O's in their name. I was like, okay. But Justin Herbert has an injury to his upper body and the guy looking after him, making sure that he's okay with his pain management is the guy who punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung and is being sued by Tyrod Taylor for this. Surely nothing can go wrong. It's insane. It's insane that that's the case still. One of the most promising players in football is being handled by the only doctor that we know in football. The only doctor that casual NFL fans or hardcore NFL fans are aware of is the Chargers doctor. He's the guy taking care of this. So maybe I should have had them higher on the panic power rankings because, yeah, that doesn't make me feel too good when we're talking about torn cartilage, getting injections, and that's the guy who's doing it. Anyways, thanks to everybody. This was a great first week. I really enjoyed it. Um, Joe Bosch, Pete Walker, Austin Mackey, Josh Santos, everybody behind uh, the glass and behind the scenes has been helping work this out. And everybody who's been so kind, like I've seen all the podcast rankings. They've been awesome. I've seen all the five-star reviews. It's meant a lot to me. And yeah, I, I hope that this just keeps getting better and better and better. So yeah, subscribe, leave more five-star reviews, and I'll talk to you next week.